That's not hyperbole. If you get the white horse and it's right or wrong, there is no way, absolutely no way, you will get end-time prophecy correct. Now, I was originally going to do a video entitled The Last Flight Out, but if we can't agree on this, the white horse rider, there's no sense in watching that upcoming video. Oh, so you're going to tell us who the rider on the white horse is, huh, Stan? Well, how will we know if that's true, if that's correct? Well, here's a rule of thumb the church should have been following. If you make a decision on something in the book of Revelation and that decision causes you to push the Olivet Discourse off the table, that decision was wrong. If the decision doesn't push the Olivet Discourse off the table, it at least has a chance to be right. Plus, I'm going to back it up with a whole bunch of biblical evidence. We're going into the weeds a little bit today. But here's this channel's mission statement. This channel affirms and confirms the relevancy of the Olivet Discourse, unlike the church, which has turned its back on it tragically. Tragic, epic fail on the part of the church. Sunday morning right now, all over the world, fine Christian men are up there preaching about stuff that everybody will forget by Tuesday when their nose should be buried in the Olivet Discourse. Those marching orders are for us. You want your marching orders? They're in the Olivet Discourse. The Book of Revelation supports the Olivet Discourse. This nonsense that they told you that the Olivet Discourse, oh, that's the second coming. That's not the rapture of the church. Lie, lie, lie. Not an intended lie, maybe. Still, nonetheless, a lie. We now know that Jesus is associating his coming with stars falling to the earth and the powers of the heavens being shaken. That's war in heaven. The stars falling to the earth is a result of that war. That's Satan and his angels being cast to earth, where they will begin the final phase without the church. See, we can go to, then, Revelation 12 and learn about what happens after war in heaven. Here's what happens. When Satan is thrown out of heaven, we hear, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And then we read that he pursues the woman, he brings the beast out of the sea, he gets the false prophet, and it's a long litany of events that are still to come. No one is being thrown into the lake of fire. No one is being chained for a thousand years. Jesus is talking about something far different than the second coming. He is talking about the end of the church age because at that point we are also told in the book of Revelation that the church moves from overcoming to overcame, from present tense to past tense because our mission is fulfilled. That's why he is sending his angels out to gather the chosen. We have completed the mission. It now switches back to Israel all about Israel, bringing them into the kingdom. So this idea that the Olivet Discourse is irrelevant because it's about the second coming, it absolutely is not. Add that to the giant list of things 
you have been lied about your whole life. It's not true. And that brings us to the letter I promised last week from Ashley, who writes this. I liked your video, but it needs to address the interpretation that one-fourth of the world would be killed by the four horsemen. The death rate is not high enough for this prophecy to be fulfilled. Are you sure about that? Okay, I'm going to give you the answer to that, Ashley. I am not the Bible answer man, but this is in the wheelhouse of what this channel is all about, and it is vital for us all to understand what is going on with those horsemen. And look at you. You grouped them all together, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. That's wrong. That's a, that is the wrong way to look at this thing. But it's been told to us. I wasn't sure. A year, a year ago, if you'd asked me, what, you think the seals are open? I, I, I kind of think the first five are. Yeah, I do. And I know the seventh one is open because we saw the Revelation 12 sign. Not knowing for certain what's going on with those seals is criminal at this point in time. The church should be so far beyond that. We should know exactly what is going on. And if you'll be open, I'm going to get you there, Ashley, if you'll be open, because what I'm going to show you is going to make all the sense in the world to you biblically, and you're going to see it. If you're a truth seeker, if you're somebody who just likes to hang on to stuff from the past, like a lot of people do, we got a problem. But I don't, I'm not condemning you on that point, Ashley. I hope you seem like you're open, so I hope that you will understand this. What she's pointing to is this passage, of course. Okay, this is either referring to death and Hades, or it's referring to all of the evil horsemen as a composite. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. People have pointed out that wild beasts is in the diminutive case, probably referring to bacteria, virus, pathogens, stuff like that, maybe. Okay? So what, what Ashley is saying is, look, this is an event. When they open that horse, they're going to kill a fourth of the world. And that just hasn't happened. Okay, but you're not seeing it correctly. First of all, in the book of Revelation, when something is evil, it is shown as being evil. It is pictured as evil. Satan is pictured as a red dragon. The beast has multiple heads and horns and blasphemy written all over him. Um, the false prophet, oh, it looks like a lamb. It speaks like a dragon. It's evil. There's no doubt in our mind. Mystery Babylon is pictured as a drunken prostitute. The rider on the white horse, however, he looks regal. There's nothing evil about him. He's got a mission. He's going forth. The other horsemen, they look bad because they are bad. And when you see that the white horse rider represents the church going forth to overcome, and the gates of hell are on that mission with him, the power of hell and Satan, because we're going into Satan's territory by the Great Commission, going to all the nations. That's the territory Satan owns. He is sending everything in his power. But what this is telling us, as devastating as these things are, war and pestilence and famine and injustice and violence, it's not going to wipe us all out. 
His authority is limited. He has great authority, but he'll never fully destroy mankind. That is not, because if you read that and didn't see that it was limited, you would think, oh my goodness, he's going to wipe us all out. It never has played that way over the last 2,000 years. The greatest event that killed percentage-wise of the world population was the Black Plague in the 1300s. It came the closest, and it was right at one quarter of the world's population. Nothing else has even come close. I'm not saying that the Black Plague was the fulfillment of that. I'm saying it's an indication that these things are limited. No war is going to get so out of hand that it wipes us all out. No pathogen is ever going to go around the world and kill every single person or most of us. It's not going to happen. The 2,000 years of church history compared to the previous 2,000 years of recorded history, let's say there's somewhere between 3,500 and 4,000 years of recorded history, the 2,000 years the church has lived through, they don't even look a thing like the previous 2,000 years. We have been filled with war and famine and pestilence, but none of them wipe us out. They do damage and they kill, because that's what he does. Now, the reason this is so important the reason you need to see that the seals are open is because if you don't see that the first five seals are open, you are condemned to pushing off and moving away from the Olivet Discourse. Here's how that works. You were taught these things by some theologian, some pastor, well-intended, I'm sure, great guy, I'm sure. His position was, well, we believe the rapture happens before any of the seals are open. That everything that has to happen for the rapture to happen has happened. So we're waiting on that, okay? But then he goes to the Olivet Discourse. Uh-oh. See, he's going to see that the stars falling to earth in the Olivet Discourse lines up with the stars falling to earth in the sixth seal. And in the Olivet Discourse, the Lord sends his angels out to gather the elect from all over the world, from one end to the other. The same thing happens at the sixth seal when John sees people from all the nations standing in heaven. So the pastor thinks to himself, well, if the rapture happens at the sixth seal, then the first five seals have to be opened before that, and that doesn't fit what I teach. So I'll call the Olivet Discourse the second coming and push it off the table. The problem, there's a big problem with many of the translations that have led us into this trap. And we've got to get out of it. The Revelation 12 sign put us on the clock. Make corrections. That's what the letters to the churches were all about. Make corrections. I am coming soon. To those of you that are on the clock, those of you that know that's time, and you know it's time by the Revelation 12 sign, we've got to make these corrections. There's a problem with some of the translations, most notably, oh, this is going to get me a lot of thumbs down, like I care. The King James Version, the New King James Version, uh, the uh, NAS, and many others, and oh yes, the worst one, for this specific point, the NIV. I made a video on this already a year ago called uh, They Flipped the Script on Us. I found out about a year ago what happened. And it made me so mad, and I can see the problems that it's causing, and I have a little more information now to give you on that. 
There are a lot of people who aren't going to go back a year ago and watch that video. Ashley, you need to see this. A whole bunch of other people need to know this. And I'm going to give you the confidence that what I'm telling you is absolutely correct. And you can trust it because it's going to be biblical. And you're going to see it with your own eyes. Watch carefully. We'll be looking at Greek word 3528, nakao. Nakao. Each church is told by the Lord they must nakao, overcome, or conquer, or be victorious. That's the definition given to us by Strong's. Properly conquer, overcome, to carry off the victory, come off victorious. The verb implies a battle. So it's used again at the rider on the white horse because he's going into a battle. The white horse is trying to depict to us goodness. It is the reflection of the glory of Christ. It is the body of Christ. It's not Christ because its verb is present tense. It's going forth conquering. Jesus conquered. It's the horse, the church that is sent out into battle. And along with it, the gates of hell are riding right alongside it on its mission with war and famine and pestilence but it will not overcome the white horse rider. So let's take a look at that Greek word and you'll see what's going on. So the word is used a number of times in the book of Revelation. The first is going to be to the church at Ephesus. It's the first letter to the seven churches. The format, as you'll see here in Strong's, they're showing us all of the verses the word is used in. Revelation 2.7, we'll get to those abbreviations that follow it later. We're shown the Greek. We're shown then three interpretations, three translations. The New American Standard, the King James Version, and the INT. That's the Greek in a linear. You want to get one step closer to the Greek, the Greek in a linear. It's tough reading, but you get the Greek word, and underneath it, the English translation. And you can see here, all of the churches are told to overcome. Now, the ESV uses conquer. That's fine. The NIV uses victorious, be victorious. That's fine. Stay consistent. So as we scroll through this, we see that all three translations stay consistent. Overcome, overcome, overcome. Constantly. Overcome, overcome, overcome. We learn that Jesus, when in chapter 5, when they're looking for who's worthy to open the scroll, the Lamb, because he overcame. Again, the past tense. Now, Revelation 6, verse 2, the white horse rider. Look what happens. The New American Standard, he went out conquering. Not overcoming like they had been translating that word. Now it switched to conquering. Same word, switched to conquering. King James Version, and he went forth conquering. They too switched from overcoming to conquering. The Greek interlinear doesn't because it recognizes it's the same word, and it stays with overcoming. But when these translations make that shift, then we can't see the connection. We can't see the connection between the church and the connection between Jesus and the white horse rider. Jesus is not the white horse rider because the white horse rider is in present tense. It's to go forth conquering in battle just as Jesus ordered the church to do. Jesus is past tense. But when you switch the translation, we can't see it. 
We don't understand that it's the same Greek word. The ESV stays consistent. The RSV stays consistent. Young's literal translation and many others stay consistent, and you can see it. But the King James Version is huge. The NAS is huge. And when I show you the NIV, it's the number one Bible in the English-speaking world right now. You can't see the connection. Now, if somebody says, but what if that Greek word is tweaked just a little bit in Revelation 6, verse 2, tweaked just a little bit that we can't see, and so it compels the translators to move from overcoming to conquering, to change it. Let me show you something that I learned this past week. Let's go to the bottom of the page for Greek word 3528, Nikao. And we see that it occurs 28 times in the New Testament. Below that are all of the parsings, all of the different ways that Greek word is written to correspond to the context grammatically that it's in. If it's in a prepositional phrase, then it's going to be slightly different, but it's the same word. If it's present tense, it'll be written to reflect that. If it's future tense, it'll be written to reflect that, and so on and so on. But it's the same Greek word. These are all of the different parsings. They will add to 28. We're going to go to this one eight times. That's the most common. And so you just click on that, and Strong's will take you to the eight uses where that exact Greek spelling is used. Here's how that is written eight times. Right here, that's what that Greek word will look like in these eight verses. The first one is in First John. The Abbreviations following 1 John 5.5, 5. This, this is applied, every Greek word gets these abbreviations. The V means verb. And then we learn about its tense, its mood, its voice, its case, its gender, and its number, either plural or singular. In this specific case, all eight of these words are a verb, of course. The P stands for present tense. The second P stands for participle, that's the mood. The voice is active. The case is nominative. The gender is masculine, and the number is singular all the way through. These are the five churches that have that exact same parsing. We go to Revelation 6-2, the rider on the white horse, the exact same parsing, P-P-A-N-M-S. Present tense, participle, active voice, nominative, masculine, singular. It's written just like, exactly like, it's written in the letters to the churches. It should never have been changed. If they change it, you can't see the connection the Holy Spirit is trying to make. As bad as that is in some translations, the worst by far and away is the NIV on this particular case. If you have an NIV and you're trying to discover and determine who the rider on the white horse is, you got no chance of doing that. Watch what they do. They use the word victorious every single time in the seven letters to the churches. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and so on and so on. In the church of Laodicea, we are told, to the one who is victorious, Jesus is talking, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. So it's victorious, 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 victorious. That's fine. That's fine. Now let's go to the rider on the white horse where we know is the exact same word, conveying the exact 
same meaning. Watch what they do. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Can you believe that? I mean, how would you ever see this rider but anything but evil? He's a conqueror bent on conquest. Imagine if they had stuck with victorious. He goes forth in victory to be victorious, the same as the church. But no, they, they turn it ugly because they see him as evil, evil and they are editorializing. If you're reading the NIV and you come to this verse, how would you come to any other conclusion? Well, he's evil. It sounds like he's the Antichrist. And that means that seal hasn't been opened yet because we haven't seen the Antichrist really begin. You see how important it is for you to see that the rider on the white horse, right after we see the letters of the churches, he is told to do exactly the same thing as the churches because he is the church writing through history of the last 2,000 years. On top of that, we already know that the first six seals are the times of the Gentiles slash the church age. Of course it's the church. Of course the fifth seal is already open. It's martyrs, but it's there where we're told that the martyrs are to remain patient until the full number comes in of their fellow Christians and other martyrs. And then the sixth seal it hits. When you can see that, then you will see that the Olivet Discourse is completely compatible with that idea. That's why Jesus is telling us, when you see war in heaven, and you're going to see it, because they're going to faint when they see it, you look up, because I'm there. The sixth seal is showing us that the result of war in heaven are the stars falling to earth. That's the result. Satan and his angels lost. They are thrown to earth. They are now earthbound, and they go forth from there. The church's mission is over. That's why it moves from present tense, overcoming, to past tense, overcame. And that's why he's sending out his angels in the Olivet Discourse to gather the chosen. Mission has been accomplished. Now it's time to turn back to Israel. But we will be in the throne room when that happens. And you can't see that if you can't see that the seals are opened. The importance of that cannot be overstated. For the last two years, he has shown us things inside the book of Revelation that relate to the church. He didn't show us anything about the next phase that involves Israel. He showed us things that are relevant to us now. That the Revelation 12 sign was given to point us to war in heaven. We then moved to the Olivet Discourse, where we saw the exact same thing taking place, that Jesus was saying, when you see war in heaven, you're about to see me. When you see the result of war in heaven, you're about to see me. He's aligned his coming with that event. Revelation 12 is aligning its appearance to that very event. But if you throw out the Olivet Discourse, as the church has, there is no way that you can avoid him coming as a thief upon you. 
he warned the church, if you won't wake up, it can, that, that Greek word can be wake up or watch. I think it's probably both. If you won't wake up, I will come upon you as a thief because you won't know what's going on. Right now, that is true of all four major schools of thought regarding the rapture. Post-trib, they have absolutely no idea what's coming. They're waiting for the Antichrist, two witnesses, and all of that. They have no idea what's coming. It's, this, this is like a joke. This is like a, a sad Shakespearean tragedy. It's unbelievable. The pre-wrath people, same thing. Mid-trib, same thing. They're watching for all kinds of things. They are not listening to the Lord in the Olivet Discourse. Pre-trib, different but similar. They say the rapture could happen at any time. Everything that needs to happen has happened. No, it has not. And so when war in heaven manifests itself on all of them, they're not going to understand it. What is that? What is that? Because they didn't listen to the Lord in the Olivet Discourse. Break their yoke from your learning. They are wrong. That's why they're asleep. They have no clue what's going on. That's why you'll hear great sermons about anything but what's going on right now, what's really going on. They haven't a clue. Stop listening to them. Go back to the Olivet Discourse. Your marching orders are right there. What you are supposed to do. I was going to talk about the last flight out, and I will do that in a few days. I, I'm going to try not to even wait a week, Lord willing. I want to get that out. But it will do no good if you won't see that the white horse is the church, that seal is open, and hell has been riding alongside of it for 2,000 years. The ride is almost over. The next two things in the Olivet Discourse, following the great sign of the sun, the moon, and the stars, those two events are coming, and the church is not ready for it. They can't help you. You've got to help yourself. I'll see you in a few days.